were asked by the Kurdistan Regional Government, the KRG, through a friend to put together a quick response, psychologically based help team that would fly over and start working with girls who had been held captive by ISIS. And that region just wasn't equipped to handle this level of mental illness and trauma. Hey friends, you're listening to the Victor Marks Podcast with Victor Marks, founder of All Things Possible Ministries. Welcome to the show where we bring you real conversations facing life's hard truths, stories of redemption, and the latest from the front lines. Whether you're on the road, getting your day started, or finally settling in, we've got an exciting new episode planned for you. So let's dive into today's show. On today's show, we bring you an eye-opening conversation with author, speaker, and pediatrician Meg Meeker. Dr. Meeker has practiced pediatric and adolescent medicine for over 30 years, and she's the author of six best-selling books, including Strong Fathers and Strong Daughters. Today's discussion was taken from an interview that Dr. Meeker held with Victor about the reality of children who face trauma and PTSD and the work he and his team are conducting overseas for kids exposed to severe traumatic events. Unfortunately, these events are far more common than many come to realize, so you don't want to miss this episode. Let's tune into today's interview with Dr. Meg Meeker and Victor Marks. Victor, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast today. Oh my gosh, thanks for having me, Meg. I want our listeners to know a little about you, Victor Marks, because that um, puts so much more punch into understanding what you do and why you do it. As a child, you had four stepfathers and you had endured horrific abuse by one of them. You lived in 17 homes as a kid. You suffered PTSD because of your experience. And is, is that what drives you to do what you do today? You know, I, I'd say it does. And more than being driven, I feel like, because I've been driven because of my past to do not good things. And I feel like when God touched my life and then I embarked on that journey to kind of be as free as I could and to know him best, he started leading me. And I prefer to be led than driven. And it's because of really his investment in me and given me far beyond what mm-hmm. I ever, ever thought I would do or be uh, from where I came from. It's just a very natural yeah. response, I think, to want to help people and especially children, but men in places that uh, they want more freedom. I love that idea of the difference between being driven and led, because I think a lot of people, particularly kids who suffer PTSD or a lot of painful experiences in life, they have this drive, this tenacity to sometimes self-destruct. And it sounds like you were on a path of self-destruction. Is that true when you were a teenager? Absolutely true statement. And you know what I've found is in dealing with some of the top people in the business world, the athletic world, the military or martial arts, whether mentoring or working with folks as colleagues, you either get people that come, and I'm talking about the one percenters, right? The, just the outliers, the stand. You either get people that, that come from very good homes, yeah. right? Where the parents, they, they poured into them, encouraged them, whatever they want to do, they'd be successful at. Or, yeah. you know, backgrounds like me, where... It was instability, insecurity, abuse, craziness, and that's what drives people. So one thing I always ask guys who make it, I go, so you've made it, but can you enjoy your life? Do you actually enjoy your life? 
And that's when things get really real. You know, you do a lot of work with women and children who've experienced abuse and rejection and men as well. And we'll talk about that in a second. But before we go on, I want our listeners to hear about your biologic father. Now, I will admit, Victor, when I was reading about you and following a lot of the great work that you do, and I heard that you'd been with four stepfathers, abused by one, and then you met your biologic father and reconciled with him and made him best man in your wedding. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> How did that happen? Well, it's it can only be God. And that's who gets the glory, right? Truly, because I was angry at you reading about that going, no, 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 no. You know, God's still in the business of doing miracles in lives. And he did that in mine and then in my dad's. So, yeah, my, my biological dad didn't claim me as his kid. My mother would have four children with him, and then, you know, everything fell apart. But he ended up being a, a drug dealer. He was a bouncer. He was a practicing warlock. I, I thought my first stepfather was my, my real dad, my biological dad. They told me as a kid later he wasn't. I remember meeting my dad for the first time. It wasn't supposed to happen, but my grandmother, his mom, you know, got me and stuck me up to see him. I was sitting in the back seat of a car, and this guy walks up, thick forms, tattoos, thick neck, nose had been broken so many times it laid flat, and he just goes, hey, boy, I'm your daddy. Mm. And I remember looking up. I was six, six or seven at the time. I remember looking up at him going, you are scary ugly, and just thinking, this is my dad. So, you know, as a kid, you're trying to process it. Well, who have we been living with? Yeah. That's when things really, really caused me to start struggling in a new way as a young kid. The confusion of who's my real dad? Well, if you are, how come I've never seen you? You know, et cetera, et cetera. Without going into details, I just want you to sort of paint a picture of what life was like with the stepfather who was terribly abusive to you. How old were you and how extensive was the abuse? Yeah, my mother... Uh, she met him when I was about three, three and a half. And later, sadly, she would say that when they were sitting at a park and they were dating or whatnot, he looked at me and she said he looked at me with very evil eyes and intention. And, you know, my mother had come from a, a very challenged background herself. Mm. So he found a very good target in my mom that he could control who had four kids, me being the youngest whose dad didn't claim him, it, it opened me up to be abused physically, sexually, emotionally. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, we don't like to give darkness any more credit for, but, you know, the manifestation of it on a kid, really, I thank God he redeems it. I'll just say that first. But yeah, I was abused and tortured by, the professionals call it torture by electricity and the oh. water dunking, uh, oh. a bunch of, bunch of other stuff. And where was your mother in all this? Well, that's a great question. My mother, I love her. She's still alive. I never want to dishonor her. But, you know, she has struggled with uh, multiple personality disorder, which enabled her to check out for a lot of things. Oh, okay. And I, I don't hold that against her. I think it's easy for listeners to sit and go, what a horrible thing, what a horrible mother. But your mother was clearly ill. Yeah. You know, and it's amazing what the mind can do when horrific things are happening in a home, not just in the abuser, but in the spouse of the abuser to sort of check out and manipulate the mind to justify or whatever. 
You do what is called, what you refer to as high-risk mission, and you do it in the Middle East, and you're helping some of the 14 million children who have suffered at the hands of ISIS in Syria and Iraq. Can you tell us what you do and how you got involved with these children and women? Yeah, you bet. We were asked by the Kurdistan Regional Government, the KRG, through a friend to put together a quick response, psychologically based help team that would fly over and start working with girls who had been held captive by ISIS. Uh, They were killing themselves, and that region just wasn't equipped to handle this level of mental illness and trauma from all the abuse. And when we talk about abuse, we're talking about one girl had been raped 30 times before lunch and was praying mm. for death. Oh. So we put together a team, went there, yeah. and quickly we were overwhelmed not only by the extreme trauma, but the abuse of so many people and then just the millions of people affected. Things really changed for us when I, I never forget my wife wanted to go on the team and I was like, babe, no, this is, we're, we're going to be, we're going to be in ISIS areas and bad things can happen. And she said, well, what's the worst that can happen? I die? I said, yeah. And then she's like, well, if we die, don't we win? Because we get heaven. And I thought, my goodness. Yeah, you win, but, I, but I'm left here without you. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> and it probably would have been a, a, a team effort there. But she she just said, I want to go to hug girls because you can't hug women. And, and she did. And we'll never forget, there's actually a video of her holding a gal and the girl kept looking at my wife's watch, and my wife gave it to her. And when we earned a level of trust, love, and respect, mm-hmm. that girl actually said, you do care about all the others still being held captive. We said, yeah. Then she pulls out an iPhone. She pulls out an iPhone mm-hmm. and says, I took this from one of the ISIS leaders. Can you use it? Wow. That opened up a whole new world to us. And that's really how we got involved in, in trying to reach and facilitate reaching women and children being held captive. And then the broader part of what we do is is helping kids with trauma, not only emotionally. Uh, we've reached about 25,000, but we're helping those with pretty severe medical needs. Mm. Uh, last week, I was in Iraq holding a girl who had been shot in the head. The, the round exited through her right eye socket, blew out her eye. You know, I got a video from her family saying, can you help us? No one else can help us. And, oh. you know, that's when you just you just go, Lord, are you really making us the answer to kids' prayers? We couldn't do this without our team, without our supporters, without our friends that know the work is vital, it's urgent, and it's effective. But I'll, I'll tell you right now, the more successful we are, the greater risk it is for me because at times now I have to be separated from my teams to lower the risk against them because there's a lot of people who mm-hmm. want to hurt my feelings over there because of what we've done. I imagine you, if you're helping people who um, have suffered at the hands of ISIS, you become their enemy because you're doing exactly the opposite. Can you talk to us just about a couple of the women and the children specifically that you have worked with, that you have helped and how your work has improved their lives. Because I think for those of us who haven't been over there, my sense is, hold on, Victor, you know, these are kids whose lives are so horrible and they do want to die. What can you really give them by going over and 
sort of putting a band-aid on things. I'm not saying that's what you do, but that's what one's inference could be from listening to you. So talk to us about some specific people, if you would, who've been helped by your work. Yeah, you bet. We think of one gal who was held captive for quite a time and horribly abused. When we met with her, you know, she had covered herself, uh, just her eyes. There was so much shame. And I remember being impacted by watching her cry and watching her tears hit her, you know, her face covering and and changing the, you know, the color of the dynamic. And I just thought, and the eyes are the gateway to the soul, people say. And you see the hurt and pain. And I remember, you know, we we go there and initially we just try to inject hope. Because if a person doesn't have hope, they can't receive love. They can't receive help. I remember telling her, and I felt like God gave me the words. I said, young lady, you're going to make a great wife. And that's the last thing she was thinking of, you know, because of the shame, especially in that culture and the abuse. And, well, and she probably thought of a husband is not a, is not a good thing. Well, I, I, and yes, plus she was thinking no one would have me because she said it. No one will have me. Oh. What I've been through, I'm ruined. No one will have me. And I just kept telling her, oh, no, I bet you're you're going to, I can see, you're going to be a great wife. Do you know about uh, a year, a little over a year later, I was sent a, a private email. It was a picture of her and her fiance, a young man that started courting her and loved her. The, the regular, I mean, the regular moderate people, uh, they're including Muslims and Yazidis. They put a high moral standard on not having sex before marriage. And he honored her. They were able to get married. And she sent me pictures. We were able to see them get to a different country and right. start a new life. So that just that just fueled us. You know, because whenever you go, whenever you visit, you don't know how God's going to work it out. Another case was, this is incredible. A girl that was being currently held at the time by ISIS in Mosul, yeah. one of my team guys was in a tent with her family in a camp, and they actually, she called her brother right then. And the brother's in the tent, and he opens the phone. We recorded the message, and he's saying, where are you? She told him where she was. Mm -hmm. Trust me, there was no way that we or our teams or people who facilitate, we, we could not get to this girl. She was too deep into Mosul. It was, at the time, not possible. On the phone, my team guy says, who's Yazidi, he said, Victor Marks will help you. Don't give up. God helps Victor Marks. God's hand, you know, is on Victor Marks. She goes, thank you. I could, she, I could hear her say my name. Thank you, Victor Marks. Mm. And I just tell you and your listeners, I couldn't sleep for three days. I was angry. I was, I said, God, why would you allow this to happen to get this call? No, I can't do anything. I can't do anything. This is, this is torment. You know what? I, I truly feel like God's spirit just said, well, why don't you pray? Mm. I'm thinking pray, you know, we, we, we need to send a team in there and get her out. He said, pray. So that's all we could do. We got people praying. Here's what ended up happening. About three months later, we got word that she went for an escape. She was fleeing at night. She got out of the, the lockdown place she was. She's running, and another man just a couple of blocks away grabs her, 
covers her mouth, drags her into his home, shuts and locks the door. And he looks at her. He has a family in his home. He says, we know where you were. We know ISIS had you. We will keep you safe until we're all free. And they kept her safe only two blocks away from where she was being held captive by so many ISIS, evil ISIS guys. And then when Mosul was liberated, which, you know, thank God we we got to see and be a, a small part of that, all these people started getting free. That's what I think about, you know, with kinetically touching someone and then prayerfully making a difference. Mm-hmm. And then just, again, just about a week ago, we have actually short films, like 60-second videos, where we interviewed this one boy who's, he and his sister were in Mosul, and a mortar hit right next to them. They were at a well getting water. ISIS had taken over their city. She's killed instantly. And then later, his home was hit, and his dad and sister were killed. And he's severely traumatized, trouble sleeping, nightmares. When Mm. he would see girls, he would start to cry that were about the age of his sister. Mm. You know, all the effects of PTSD, but they don't know what it is. They they don't know what, what trauma is. So our team went in there and tried some new advanced trauma relief technology. Uh, called brain state technology, where it actually resets the brain in a very short time. They did three treatments a day for three days. That kid's testimony of how he feels, he was smiling. He said he didn't have the bad dreams anymore. And he says, I feel peace and calm. This equipment we're bringing in, we're the first people to bring it into the Middle East, period, much less Iraq. We are going to set up teams to start doing this trauma therapy specialized in in different camps to reach tens of thousands of children. That's where I would love to bring you and let you see this happening. It bless you so much. How many people do you have on your teams, Victor, that you send out? Well, we'll keep the numbers private for okay. just for security reasons. Yeah. But it varies depending on need and mission. I mean, me and my family have a residence in Iraq, and then there are times where you know, I've had to go and do something in country and mm. get out in 72 hours. Really? With very small teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with very small teams. So reaching Islamic leaders who are thought influencers, because that's the only way we can help change. The gospel makes the change. But I remember mm-hmm. somebody asked me, you know, in America, so how many of them Muslims have you converted? I said, well, I don't, I hadn't converted anybody. I said, I think the Lord's touching people. You know, what do you do if you can't preach the gospel? I says, I'm relegated to living it. <laughs> do you find in Syria and Iraq many leaders who will help you? Because I know, I mean, ISIS is so intimidating and frightening to, to so many. I mean, that's that's how they operate. But do you find that there are leaders who will will come alongside you and say, you know, we will help the refugees, we will help those who have been wounded by ISIS? I think there are a lot of great people in the region, leaders, indigenous and all that actually want to help, but they don't have the resources. So that's what we bring to the table in people, resources, and even finances. Mm. And when you work with the women and the children, and there's some boys in there as well, are you working primarily in refugee camps or refugee areas? We've done both. We've worked and helped people, I mean, literally right where they live when they were just liberated from ISIS. 
We've worked with people uh, in camps, IDP camps, which are internally displaced people. Mm. Uh, we've worked with Syrians in refugee camps. And then we've had teams give out our line and lambs, which are really what are, it's our phase one for children. These are stuffed little animals, lion or lamb, and they have music that is specific to lowering the anxiety and panic in children. And it's in their cultural music and then in their language, we have prayers. We have seen ISIS family members line up to get these, wow. which is, is, you know, blows your mind. You know, we've found what works. We've got a lane that we're running in and, you know, we even had leadership say, come, we've taught healthcare uh, personnel there. You know, we've trained the people that are there 24 seven. So it's been in every different position, but yeah, we, we see clearly a lane that we're running in that that's effective right now. Well, if anybody is listening and would like to help you, how can they help you and where can we send them? Victor Marks with an X.com okay. or reachchildren.com. They can see needs and opportunities. Prayer really does matter. You know, prayers first, financial resources are second. We're getting ready to ship soon a half a million dollars worth of medical supplies into areas that absolutely need it. You know, it's it's pretty exciting that God has given us the opportunity and the need, and he's helping us with people praying and, and uh, supporting us doing this work. Victor, this has just been amazing. I thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your great work. And I would love to have you back and talk about PTSD in people in America, if you would be willing to do that. Uh, I'd be honored. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. We'd love to stay connected with you and invite you to the conversation beyond this podcast. You can check out more of the work we're doing around the world at victormarks.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all linked in the show notes. Be sure to drop us a comment in the review section if today's show has impacted you in any way or if there's anything you'd like to hear more of. We're always encouraged to hear from you. Thanks for spending your time with us. Until next time.